Well, good morning. We're in the Christmas season, obviously, and so we're starting a new teaching series called Missing Peace. There we go. <laughs> Today's topic is, is peace even possible? Um, we had a birthday in our family this week. Our oldest grandson, Joel, some of you know, turned 20. If your grandson's 20, then you're, you've, been, you've been on this planet for a little while, right? And so we have, but I don't, thinking about when I was a kid and, and we'd have birthday parties, you'd have your cake, you put the candles in, and you always said what? Make a wish, don't tell anybody, and it'll come true. I don't remember any of them ever coming true, but that was the, that's, the, that's the idea, right? So it made me think on your outline. If you had just one wish, what would you wish for? Kind of cool, right? I think I would wish that everybody in the world would hear the gospel. That would be a cool wish, right? Lots of people would pray for money, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Like, if I had billions of dollars, I could give money to the mission causes and send out lots more missionaries or send Bibles or whatever. If I was going to be generous with that money, some people, would, if you're single, might pray for a, uh, a spouse. If you're childless, you might pray for a child. Um, if you're without a job, you might pray for a, wish for a job. Um, it could be lots of things. To be handsome, or to be beautiful, or to be popular, you could wish. One wish you couldn't wish is to have a bunch of wishes. That's not allowed, right? Have a bunch of wishes. So, what would you wish for? Uh, one thing the world is desperately seeking, I believe, is peace. And so that would be kind of a cool thing to pray for, right? Peace on earth. In fact, we go back to... The first Christmas, uh, the angel showed up to the angel uh, to the shepherds. You know what they said? We'll just read one verse. Glory to God in the highest heaven, and what? Peace on earth to those whom God is pleased. Now, we know a lot about the opposite of peace. Maybe not so much about peace, do we? We know about turmoil and conflict and fear and anger and unforgiveness and lots of other things. But what about peace on earth? Peace on, in my life, in my world. Back in Isaiah, Old Testament prophet, uh, things weren't too good in Israel. And um, Isaiah makes this prophecy. He says, one day, those of us in the city are going to sing this song. This is Isaiah 20, bring that up, 26, first four verses. One day, things don't look too good in Israel right now, but one day in the future, there's going to be this promise that all the Israelites are going to be singing this song. What's the song? Our city is strong. At that point, it wasn't very strong. In fact, they were going to be overrun and uh, taken off into captivity. We are surrounded by walls of God's salvation. Now, we've been to Israel. There's a wall that goes around the, the old city. Um, but he's not talking about that kind of wall. He's talking about a wall of salvation, a relationship with God. Open the gates to all who are righteous. Walls have gates to get in and out. Allow the faithful to enter. Notice what he says next. You, God, will keep in, here's our phrase, perfect peace. All who are fixed on you. All who are fixed on you. Perfect peace. 
Trust in the Lord always, for the Lord God is the eternal rock. Again, we know more about imperfect peace, don't we? Turmoil in our lives and anxiety and frustration and all these other things. Perfect peace is kind of a, I'm not sure what that is, right? We'll talk about it in a minute. Well, this is a promise of God. Does God keep his promises? Absolutely. So on your outline, what is perfect peace? What is Isaiah talking about? What is God talking about? Well, the word translated peace here is a word you might be familiar with. It's called, it's the word, Hebrew word, shalom. You've heard that word before, right? In fact, in Jewish culture, it's a, both a greeting and uh, it's a high and a goodbye boat. You say shalom when you meet somebody and you say shalom when you leave. What you're saying is peace to you. Um, Jesus said this. Um, it's interesting. Paul, in his letters, he would often start his letters with grace and peace. He didn't say grace and love. He didn't say grace and something else. He said grace and peace. This word translated uh, peace is, is greater than what we think about peace. It talks, it, in, in, uh, the definition includes these things. Wholeness, completeness, and then fullness of peace. So, there's different areas we can have peace. Most important area, of course, is with God. Talk about that a little bit later. Peace with others in our relationships. Uh, family members, friends, co-workers, etc. Uh, fellow people here at church. Peace. Another part, part of peace is peace with yourself. Are you able to forgive yourself? The, the, the bad stuff you've done, the stuff you're ashamed of, the stuff you can't forget. Can you live with those memories and with peace? What about circumstances? Our peace is often affected about circumstances. What's going on around us, right? What's going on around in the world? Actually, this word, or two words, is translated perfect peace. It's not literally perfect peace. You know what it is in the Hebrew? It's shalom, shalom. In Hebrew, if they want to emphasize something, they would repeat it. So it says peace, peace. Or peace above all peace, or translated this way, perfect peace. Now, is peace possible in a troubled world? Would be the question, right? Is peace possible when there is trouble? Jesus, the last night of his life, he's talking to his disciples. In chapter 14 of John, he's talking about, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to leave. I'm going to give you the a comfort of the Holy Spirit. And then he says this in John 14. I have told you all this. You can read what he wrote in John 14. Why? Why is he telling them this? So you'll have peace. Not just peace, but peace in me. Now keep in mind, what's going to happen within 24 hours? Their leader, Jesus, they thought Messiah, is the Messiah, was going to be tortured and executed. And he's talking about peace. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. They're going to face them in the next coming days. But take heart. Don't be discouraged. You can have peace because I have overcome the world. How did Jesus overcome the world? He conquered sin and death, right? He lived a perfect life and suffered death. And the wages of sin is death, so he didn't have to die. But he died 
to take our place. And then he had victory because three days later, what? The tomb was empty. So he conquered sin and death. So consequently, you and I can have peace, first and foremost, peace with God. And then peace in our other areas of our life. <clears throat> so, here's the bottom line of the message today. Peace isn't found in the absence of problems, because none of us would ever have peace, right? We all have problems. True peace, shalom, shalom, is found in the presence of God. Now, I always think about pushback when I get up here and talk. And you can say, well, pastor, maybe you have a great marriage, but my, my marriage is falling about, apart. I don't have any peace. Or, pastor, it's Christmas time and my finances are terrible and I want to buy presents, but I can't. I can't afford them, go in debt. So I, can't, I don't have peace. Or maybe you're a bigger picture uh, of the world. There's, you know, wars going on in Israel right now. Um, there's no peace. Well, there's not going to be external peace, right? It's not going to be the absence of problems, but we can find peace in the midst of the problems if we're in God's presence. So I put this question on your outline. How do you experience this shalom, shalom of God? All like to know, right? How do we experience it? Well, in first and foremost, you and I need to understand something. That the battle for peace, this is on your outline, the battle for peace, because it is a battle, right? And we'd all have it all the time. The battle for peace begins in here, right? And it just doesn't happen occasionally. This is an ongoing 24-7 battle. You ever be at peace one minute and not the next? So there's a battle going on in your mind. And so we have to, quote-unquote, fight this battle. So how do we do it? Let's look at some things in God's Word. So again, Isaiah's promise is this. You, God, will keep in perfect peace, shalom, shalom, all who trust in you. So are we trusting? Trusting? All those whose thoughts are... Here we got a key. The battle goes on here. Then the thoughts, what are they fixed on? Are you watching CNN or Fox News, depending on your preference? I can almost guarantee you're not at peace if you're watching those things. I, I work really hard, I don't watch either one of those, to find an unbiased source of information. On top of that, we have fake news. And that goal of fake news is opposite of giving you peace, right? So what are you fixing your mind on? What are you watching? What are you listening to? Um, are you, uh, uh, my mom was big about following politics. Well, she was never at peace about that stuff anyway. Stock market. If you've got money in the stock market, I don't know how much peace you can have if you've got money in the stock market. So what is your mind fixed on? That word translated fixed literally means this. It's on your outline. To lean on completely. To fully rest oneself. I, I thought about maybe this. Completely relaxed. Can you completely relax? Perfect peace, on your outline, is when our mind is fixed on or relaxed on or resting on what? God's promises. Because he always keeps his promises. So, what are your mind fixed on? 
What is your mind fixed on? Another way to think about it, what does your mind drift to when you're not busy doing something? What does it drift to? Maybe you're into politics, it's about politics. Maybe you're into the stock market, it's the stock market. Maybe as you're getting older, you've got aches and pains, <laughs> you get fixated with your aches and pains. Maybe it's a relational thing. Maybe, again, it's a financial thing. What does your mind drift to? Or what does your mind focus on? Because he says, fix your mind on the promises of God if you want to have peace. If you don't want to have peace, fix it on whatever you want. Uh, Paul addresses this in Philippians chapter 4. <clears throat> now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. He's writing a letter. He's getting near the end of the letter. Fix your thoughts. There is that phrase again. On what? Again, political situation, the news, stock market. What, what does he say to fix it on? Notice the list. What is true, not false or fake. What is honorable, not what is dishonorable. What is right, not wrong, of course. What is pure, not what's impure. What is lovely, not ugly. What is admirable. Notice, every one of those is a positive quality or trait. Then he sums it up this way. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Is that where your mind goes? Is that where mine goes? Is that what I'm dwelling on? Is that what my mind is fixed on? Probably not, right? A lot of negativity in our lives. If nothing else, we feel sorry for ourselves sometimes, right? So what is your input? Again, what are you reading? What are you listening to? What are you watching? So he says this, all right? So if that's the thing I'm supposed to do, fix my minds or thoughts on that. He says, keep putting into practice all you've learned and received from me. So this is something you and I have to practice. In fact, we have to practice it all the time. Uh, seen me, heard from me and saw me doing, then keep practicing it, and then the God of peace will be with you. So is that what you and I are practicing? Are we obeying what we're reading? What we're positive input? When, when we practice fixing our mind on those honorable and praiseworthy things. Um, Paul addresses this issue of peace. And I said the most important peace is what kind of peace? If you don't have this kind of peace, it's hard to have any of the other kind of pieces. Uh, Romans chapter 5. Great book. Uh, I just finished reading it. And I'm just amazed again how great a book it is. Paul's talking about different things. Uh, and you get to chapter 5, about a third of the way through the book, and he says this. Since we, we have been made right in God's sight by faith. He's talking in chapter 4 about Abraham's faith. We're made right in God's sight, at peace with God, by faith, by grace through faith. It's a gift, right? We have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, Lord, Je Lord has done for us. We already talked about that. His death and resurrection. There's only two kinds of people in the world. People at peace with God and people that are enemies of God. There's no in-between, all right? Most people don't think they're enemies of God, but everybody has sinned and is at odds with God until you take care of that or you fix that. And you and I can't do anything to fix it. 
because I've already messed up, right? So God fixed it for us in his son Jesus. So by faith, I believe that Jesus paid the price for my sin, so I am set free to have a, a relationship with God and an eternal relationship. I'll spend eternity in heaven with him. Someone's put it this way. It's Jesus plus nothing. All right. That's how you get to God. Jesus. Nothing else. So, a couple cha chapters later, he says this. Those who are dominated by sinful nature think about sinful things. Again, up here, right? Battle's up here. Dominated by sinful nature, think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So what are you thinking about things? Are there things that please the Spirit? If not, they might be in the other category. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. Not good, right? So you don't let it. So you, this is something you and I control. Letting your sinful nature control, bad things happen. Letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life not death and there's our word peace i got to thinking about the old wwjd right thing remember what would jesus do i have a alteration of that would be wwjt what would jesus think what would jesus fix his mind on what would jesus it, what input would Jesus have to his mind? So, back in John 14, when Jesus was talking to disciples for the last time, he said, I'm leaving you with a gift. We all like gift. We say free gift. Gifts should be free, right? Peace. Now, here's the gift. Notice, peace of mind and heart. That's the gift Jesus has promised his disciples and promising you and I. In a relationship with God, we have peace of mind and heart. And he says, okay, this is, there's different kinds of peace. The peace I give you is a gift the world can't give. So all the money in the world can't give you this peace. You know, you might have the greatest spouse in the world, the greatest job in the world. No, it can't bring you this kind of peace. This is a peace that only comes from God. But consequently, then, you don't need to be troubled or afraid. The gift of the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in us. So, for example, when I'm af afraid, I've shared this before, my mind goes to 1 John 4, 8. Perfect love casts out fear. God loves me perfectly. I don't need to fear. We're going to look at a verse about worry here in a, in a minute. What about when your circumstances are, are kind of negative? Well, we have a promise in, in Romans 8 also. God can work all things together for good. It's not a good thing. It doesn't have to be a good thing. The old expression, uh, God gives you lemonade, uh, lemons make lemonade. God can do that, right? So, what does your mind dwell on? The thing that I'm worried about, the thing I'm fearing, or am I dwelling on God's promises? Peace isn't found in the absence of problems. None of, nobody had peace. True peace, shalom, shalom, is found in the presence of God. Another way to say this. Peace is a byproduct of God's presence. When I'm in God's presence, I have peace. I try to think of some byproducts of things. Um, when we breathe in oxygen, we exhale what? 
Carbon dioxide, right? Now plants, on the other hand, do what? Their input is carbon dioxide, but they output byproduct is oxygen. And that's how we live. Jesus with his disciples in a boat, and this storm comes up, right? And it's a pretty bad storm, evidently, because these are fishermen, and they should be pretty secure in a boat. What's Jesus doing? Remember? He's sleeping. <laughs> he, he's at peace in the midst of the storm. Disciples, not so much. In fact, they're so upset, they eventually wake him up, and they say, don't you even care about us? We're all going to die. We're all going to drown. And I'm sure we've all thought that of God at some point, right? God, this wouldn't be happening to me. Don't you care? And so what's Jesus do? I'm not going to tell you how he dealt with the disciples, but what did he, how did he deal with this trouble, this storm? It's in Mark chapter 4. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, what did he say? Depending on translation, this one says, peace, be still, calm down, be quiet, whatever translation you want. And the wind ceased, and there was great calm. The problem was there were two storms that day, right? The external storm of the wind and rain, and the internal storm in the lives of the disciples. Don't you even care? And sometimes you and I have that internal storm, don't we? Question is, is God trustworthy? Remember I said to trust? Is he trustworthy? Whether we're in a boat, in a storm, or wherever we might be. So, around the beginning of the year, we're going to talk about this. We need to be in this book, only trust worthy source about God that we have daily. Fix our minds on it, right? It's easy for us to get negative. Negative thoughts enter our minds, right? About the circumstances, whatever it might be. So what's Paul tell us to do in 2 Corinthians? <clears throat> we are demolishing, good word, right? Arguments and ideas, every high and mighty philosophy that what? Pits itself against the knowledge of the one true God. So anything that pits itself against this knowledge, we need to demolish. We are taking prisoners or captives, some translations say. We are taking prisoners or captives of every thought. Up, again, up here. Not just some of them, or once in a while. This is something we're practicing. We're going to practice on every thought and every emotion. We talked about feelings last week. Some feelings are good, some aren't so good. Take captive those feelings. I shouldn't feel this way. And subduing them into obedience to the anointed one. In obedience to God's word and God's promises. <clears throat> so on your outline, take captive. Capture your thoughts and your feelings and replace them with truth. One of them is anxiety or worry, right? I always talk about the acceptable sin for Christians is worry. Well, not according to God. It is to us, but it's not according to God. So back in Philippians 4, what did Paul say? Don't be anxious. Some translations say, don't worry about what? Anything. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray. Pray about everything. 
So don't worry about everything, pray about everything. He, God, longs to hear your requests. He wants you to pray. He wants to, to listen to your heart cry. So talk to God about your needs and be thankful for what has come. And then the next verse says, and I and know, and know, know what? That's the peace of God. I know the peace of God, a peace that is beyond any and all our human understanding. So we can't explain this. It's supernatural. We'll stand, watch over our hearts and minds in Jesus, the anointed one. Watch over this peace of God. Again, it's not just peace, but peace of God. Made me think of this song. We sang it actually in the first service. Here's a line from that song. Peace, the world can't give it. You can't find it out there, folks. The amazing thing is the world can't take it away. You and I can have peace in the midst of the storm. So again, peace isn't found in the absence of problems. Not going to be, not going to happen, right? True peace, shalom, shalom, is found in the presence of God. And it's a gift. It's a free gift that God wants to give to you if we'll cooperate with him. If we'll take those thoughts captive and, and replace them with things that are pure, lovely, etc., etc. So that's my assignment for you this week. Begin training yourself. There's a training process, right? To capture your thoughts and replace them with God's truth. Got to know God's truth to do that, right? So when that anxiety comes, ah, Philippians chapter 4 says, don't worry about everything, pray about everything. I don't know about you, sometimes I worry while I'm praying. But uh, that's something we need to work on. We need to practice it, right? We need to train ourselves. Take every thought captive. Let me know next week how it goes for you this week, all right? Let me pray with you and we'll have a final song. Father God, thank you. We thank you that you desire for us to have peace in the midst of the storm. And peace in every area of our lives. First and foremost, peace with you. In fact, it's impossible to have much peace outside of if we don't have that peace with you. And so we pray for anyone that is not a Jesus follower, has never accepted that gift. We pray that today is the day you surrender your anxiety, you surrender your fears, you surrender your sin to God and accept his forgiveness and be at peace with God. And that'll overflow into our other areas of our lives. Um, peace in our relationship. Uh, peace with ourselves. First and foremost, accepting your forgiveness of us. Peace in the midst of the storm, whatever circumstances there might be. God, what a wonderful promise. And most of us don't have much peace. So this is going to be a, a, a big step of faith to trust you that peace is possible, desirable, is a gift that we can receive. You're such an awesome God. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your amazing grace and peace. In Jesus' name, amen.